This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am each and every week by Bazooka Joe Valtellini. We have a new UFC lightweight champion, the Bronx, Charles Oliveira. What a great story that should inspire anybody in the world of mixed martial arts. Seeing a guy who started his UFC career 10-8 uh, with one no contest go on a massive streak and become champion. How inspirational did you get it is, Joe? Like, if you're if you're somebody in MMA, and I, I think it really shows the stark difference between MMA and boxing to see something like that happen. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's something special. I mean, and I just think it's motivational for everyone in life. I mean, I don't think you even have to be a, a martial artist to see how inspirational that was. But what was more amazing of it? That was a man who accomplished something big in his life and just the way he held his belt the way he smiled with it it, it was something special and man the way he did it and the years of experience the ups and downs i mean it was just a a beautiful ending to a, a nice story to be honest it was fantastic yeah absolutely i and i'm i've been a big uh, you know i don't like to say that i'm a fan of a fighter as somebody who covers the sport but you know I, there was a time where i didn't cover the sport and before i covered the sport my favorite fighter to watch uh, I, w I will say, was Charles Oliveira. So, I mean, he remains one of my favorite fighters to watch uh, really yeah. ever in, in this sport. I love the way that he's able to, to mix you know mix together uh, his grappling and, his, and now his striking has really evolved. But uh, the way that he's able to find these subs in just such a crafty fashion. I said to Dana White, I think he's the most diverse finishing threat in the history of MMA. Like, he can just finish you. Like, you're in danger regardless of where you are with this guy. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the beautiful evolution of what mixed martial arts was. You got to think he's a Brazilian, too. What were the Brazilians known for? I mean, either fantastic jiu-jitsu or shoot box kickboxing. Like so, But he was that perfect balance of bringing Brazil into the, a full mixed martial artist. So, I mean, I, I love it. I, I just think that he'll knee you in your face. He'll choke you out. He'll rip your ankles off. He'll, he's got it all. And I think that's what a, a champion in modern-day MMA has to have is a little bit of everything and at a good level. And I've got to say, you're at a bit of a disadvantage if you're in the UFC, a North American promotion, and you don't speak English in terms of how they can promote you. Now, you have to have something that makes you stand out if that is the case. I mean, look at Zhang Veili. She doesn't speak English. I mean, she's, she's working on her English, and I think her English is quite good for uh, where she's at. But, I mean, even for her last fight, she was using a translator. Um, but she, the way that she was able to finish Jessica Andrade, the fact that she's from... China, which has a massive population of, of new fans. She has that thing that allows you to kind of cross over. Anderson Silva, when he was champion, now he speaks perfect English, but didn't speak any English and used the translator. And, and the thing that made Anderson stick out was the, the, the creativeness, you know, the, the creativity, rather. All of that, while he was um, using his, uh, his striking, the way that he was able to finish fight, the way that he flowed, I think that made him stand out. And now you look at Oliveira. The fact that he's such a finishing threat... I think that if he was a guy that just grappled and wrestled with you and, and held you down and, you know, won decisions, he wouldn't be in this position. But the yeah. fact that he's able to just finish all these people, has that 90% finishing rate, I think that's what made, has really been his, uh, you know, his, his selling, uh, his marketability, basically, his selling factor is that. Yeah. Now, is it just me? Did, did he have a nice new set of teeth to go with that belt as they well, or has that been a while? It was the Darren Till playbook. Yeah, the, I mean, I, I was saying to some friends, his his strategy is to blind Michael Chandler with his teeth, and and yeah, and seriously, when he's covering his eyes, take him down <laughs> and sub him. 
It's those either are... the belt or the eyes are going to shine you. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, geez, those teeth were nice and white. Yeah. And I yeah. went to the dentist yesterday and I felt so, I was like, man, I need nice Olivera teeth. You should have brought a I picture of them. Like when you go hygienist. to the barber, you know, you go to the barber yeah. and you're like, I want this hairstyle. You bring yeah. a nice picture of, 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 uh, of Chucky Olives and, yeah. uh, and show, show him uh, those chompers and say, that's what I want. Yeah, but those are all have to be implanted teeth because they're just too nice and perfect, right? Is that how those things work? Veneers, are say, they? I would say they're probably veneers. It's like, like I said, it's the Darren Till special. That's what yeah, Darren I just Till I didn't know the name of them. Sometimes they're capped, or sometimes I'm not into the the teeth co- uh, cosmetology business yet. They could be caps. My my uh, my middle son has caps, so okay. they're nice and shiny. All right. So one one little side thing of me when I grew up, well not when I grew up I did, but when I was growing up, I had. Uh, I have big front teeth and they had a space and one of them wasn't growing in. It just took forever. So I had to get a nice retainer with like a fake tooth. So I'd snap a little That's retainer cool. in because I'd either have one big missing tooth out front and it wasn't cool. So I had a, a retainer for a few years with like a, a fake tooth. That's the most I've gone in my teeth world. And then children picked on you and then you learn martial arts and, then, and now here we are. Then I started knocking them out after that. I was <laughs> I was putting dentists in business. Come on. You know, That's my job. You don't strike me as a guy that was that was picked on as a child, but you never know. Most a lot of these fighters no. were. No, I was a bully. I was a straight up bully, and I look back and I hate it. I was a bully. Well, at least you can uh, you can admit that, and uh, you, you can know. look back on that with shame. Yeah, big time shame. I hate it. I look back. I'm like, I hate myself for being that bully. Do you ever call people that you uh, you bullied like uh, like that? Uh, uh, what movie was it with Steve Buscemi where he's crossing names off the list? I think it was Happy Gilmore. It was one of those. It was an Adam Sandler movie where he calls Steve uh, Buscemi. No, not somebody. yet. Not yet. I didn't have like a, a one specific target, but there was a few like stories. I'm like, man, I can't believe I did that. I really can't believe I was that person. I think it would be cathartic for the better. Those people find them, find them on Facebook, yeah. send them a message. I think it, I think you'd find it very cathartic, and I think it would give them a lot of closure as well to know that you grew up to be a very nice person. Well, I hope it didn't impact it uh, them to still feel that way, but I'm sure it does. Those it scars does. last for years, yeah, it right? Does. At be. least it's a memory, anyways. So yeah, yeah. what's the harm? Yeah. Reach out to them, Joe. Reach out and say, listen, right. that was that was the old uh, that was pre bazooka. Yeah. That no, was pistol Joe. Bazooka's nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the Yeah, I was an animal. Anger mm-hmm. management Joe, so it was good. There you go. Well it, it, martial arts helped you turn the corner. It's uh, very similar to like Hakeem Dawadu and things like that. But uh, I think I don't think you were uh, in the same predicament as he was, but you know, he uh, yeah. he he got into like a life of crime and martial arts helped really center him and, and give him kind of a second start in life. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you'll find a lot of that in sport, not even just kickboxing, right? It's the it's the outlet, and I think that's why even with the COVID being down now, I mean, even within my community of younger fighters, I mean, they're getting in trouble in the community right now. I mean, I had one of the grandparents come in and, and start saying that their kids are getting into trouble, and I mean, it's like there's no activity for them. They need sport. They need, they need recreation. Yeah. They need an outlet right now, and uh, they haven't had it for a year and a half, so I think that's one of the bigger issues happening right now with uh, – you know, hopefully uh, outdoor sports uh, will open up for these kids. Well, I've got a bit of a recommendation for them. If, uh, if, if you know, if, if you're able to relay the message to uh, the grandparents, there's a website called bazookatraining.com. Yeah, I was waiting you, for it. Yep. You, can, uh, you can exercise at home, and if you need an outlet. That's it. Got, you might not be able to see Joe in the gym, but you can see Joe uh, in the comfort of your own home. It's basically 30 minutes of babysitting. For nine ninety nine a month, you just put it on, and you I babysit your kid on the TV for 30 minutes, and they do something positive, right? So maybe I gotta brand it as babysitting, recreation. So do you have do you have like a kids class that's on that that uh, or is it just you would just go to the beginner level? 
Uh, it's just a beginner level, but I've been actually thinking about making more kid-friendly things. You but kid-friendly the, stuff the is, programs is the are the open. The problem is they're all open. They're still daycare programs now, so a lot of those kids are still into martial arts. But I'm sure they can use, um, or their parents aren't comfortable taking them. So yeah, there's yeah, a lot of value in it. In school, my kids, like my, uh, I know my kid in kindergarten, they're watching like yoga videos and exercise videos and things like that to mm. get exercise in the house. So if you were able to come up with a children's program, and they are going to continue remote learning next year, maybe you can, you know, they can, yeah, they can implement ahead. that. For, for phys ed. I like it. You can I like reach out it. to the school board say, hey, listen, I'm a TDSB registered teacher, if you still are. I don't know if you still are. But, I uh, am, yep. yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a TDSB teacher, and I think that this would be a, a good thing for, you might want to get rid of the gun logos, but, you know, this is a good thing for your yeah. kids to, uh, for the kids in your class to do for five minutes of their day. Yeah, I mean, I actually, when I was teaching at the school, I, I worked with behavior kids, and the behavior boys, I actually did my teach uh, uh, you have to do like a teaching appraisal like every four years, every five years. I did mine teaching kickboxing to behavior kids. Mm-hmm. I went totally like if you would have went, so you're teaching, your teacher is teaching martial arts, teaching the the at-risk kids to fight like yeah and i just showed how much they loved it how dedicated they were how much they they listened to me how much structure and and routine was in the class i mean it, it did great i mean the vice principal and the principal loved it well yeah i mean you can use it to, to teach them a positive message teaching martial arts doesn't isn't necessarily teaching somebody you know the art of hurting people it's all you're also teaching them how to channel their anger and energy into different ways but before we uh turn this into a just a marketing session why don't, we, why don't we go back to ufc 262 what did what did you think of the fight i mean uh the first round it was really a tale, tale of well I, you can't even really say two rounds a round and 49 seconds but uh what, what was your takeaway from that main event just wild i mean fun and wild i mean i thought i was like yep told you michael chandler his power i was like i was just like i told everybody i was just kind of um patting myself on the back calling uh chandler to get in there and finish him but just showed Oliveira coming back taking his back the, the, it's just wild excitement i mean i think it was uh a great round what did you what's the what's the controversy uh, i mean I, I hear people very pissed about uh them giving it a 10-8 round yeah two Oliveira. judges gave that first round well they gave it to chandler the two judges gave chandler a 10-8 round uh, in the first, and a lot of people were saying that, I mean, if you watch the round, Oliveira took him down, Oliveira got his back, Oliveira was yeah. threatening. Like, it wasn't a, a lopsided round. I mean, we had he had a very significant moment at the end of that round, but, like, if that's a 10-8 round, Oliveira now needs to win wh- wh- basically all four of the next rounds in order to win yeah. that fight. Yeah. Right? So that that changes the dynamic of the fight. I mean, let's be real. There weren't a lot of people that thought that this was going to go the distance. I mean, these are two guys with high finishing rates uh, trying to win a championship. There's going to be a sense of urgency. I know that, that guy who does the uh, the picks for the UFC on the UFC uh, on the line or whatever it's called, uh, he said he thought it was going to go the distance. But I, I, I didn't hear anybody else <laughs> really yeah. say that that fight was going to go the distance. And, uh, of course, it didn't. But, yeah, I mean, it just puts a fighter at a real disadvantage if you give them a 10-8 round in a round that really was not that lopsided. I mean, I, it was a clear round for Chandler. And you know what? I was happy because I was listening to John McCarthy and uh, Josh Thompson's podcast weighing in. And they were talking about, well, if there was a half-point system, that would have been a 10-8 to eight and a half round. Yes, that is what we need. And yeah. I've been preaching this for years, even before I started covering the sport. We need yeah, a half-point must system. Because you have. the 10-point the, the must system is not conducive to mixed martial arts, it's conducive to, to eight or twelve round fights, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's conducive to boxing. It's not conducive to mixed martial arts. It, you can't you can't fit a square peg into a round hole. 
it, it doesn't make sense to have the fights scored in three rounds where the rounds can be so radically different and somebody can have a pretty like a really clear round and then two really really close rounds and lose that fight yeah i have to look up why why did they make up the number 10 why i think it's 10? just easy i think it's just the thing is but isn't easier one and two you know you get you win the round you get one you lose you get zero and at the end it's three to one three to oh, you know three you two well, I think they what? did that because they want to be able to do 10-8 rounds. They want to be able to change the scope of what's going on and, and be able to – because you if you yeah. do one nothing, then it's just round by round by round. And, again, you could have a really dominant round and lose two rounds and lose the fight. So, But, again, I, I think that, I don't, I don't think yeah. the number's high enough. I, th- I feel like they need to either implement the decimal system or make a 20-point must system or do something that fits MMA. Everybody's so – listen, MMA is still a sport that's in its embryonic phase. This is still a very young sport. To change it right now, at the moment, it might be a little bit radical. But in the long term, it's better for the health of the sport and it's, and it's better for the competitive environment. Yeah. What I don't understand, I mean, yes, the half here, the half there, and I mean, changing this. But I mean, isn't the easiest solution to just have more eyes on the fight and have more specialists calling it? Like, I mean, yes, it's important to have maybe three, you know, judges there, but... One at five, like we do in kickboxing, or have people on the outside watching experts that have the TV view that are, aren't influenced by the crowd. You know, the problem with that is you don't hear the impact, and I know it changes a bit, but those are some, or the, the, the judges' ringside get a little bit more value than the others watching at home. But we have so many experts watching this that get them giving their input very quickly can. You know, out of 100 experts, you know, this was the result. And, I mean, it's just – it's so quick. There's technology. It can happen anywhere. Like, you can basically give you an app and be like, who you thought won quick, you know? So and I don't understand why, why they the don't. why do the judges need to be cage side? Like, why not just have them in the arena watching on a screen in the back with, like, uh, noise-canceling headphones on? I just think damage – because, again – being a commentator now and and not being there and seeing it, it's like you hear and see things more ringside. Like I mean, the the hitting, the sound of something, right? Like I could punch you on TV and you're like, ooh, that that was hard. But uh, in ringside, you're like, yeah. You I mean you can hear the echoing of the shot sometimes? So I think it can help. But I don't know how much that values them. But I appreciate it as a fan hearing those noises and it kind of tells you how hard something was a lot of times. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I mean, I think that that is important. Um, and I also like pride scoring. I think that one championship, when you watch their fights, when they just score it to the person that they think won the fight, more often than not, it's right. I know this past weekend there was a bit of a controversy was, with yeah. uh, one of the female fights. Uh, with B, B. Win got a, a win over, um, I forgot the name of the fighter from India. Uh, and a lot there was a little, you know, some controversy there. But And there's always going to be controversy. Listen, I mean, this is an imperfect you know, thing, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's hard to really gauge who's winning and who's not. But I mean, this is the thing. If you can't go back and change the score, right? So, you know, if you think that somebody won the first round, it was very close. Someone won the second round, it was very close. And then the third round is a total blowout, you know, and, and it's clear that that person should have won. They did more over the, over the entirety of the fight. You can't yeah. go back and change it. Your scorecard's your scorecard, right? Yeah, I mean that's why I kind of, I mean I like the that you can kind of judge the entirety sometimes because it's like, like you said, if if it's a three rounder even, and in the first two rounds were really close, but they gave it to the other guy in the third round, I beat the crap out of you, and you're half dead. You know what I mean? It's two to one. You lost the fight. When yeah. really, did you lose the fight? Not really. No. Look at the damage you've done. Look, like I mean, so but you gotta understand it's 
that we're looking at it as more of like a, an animalistic live or die where the other way it's more sport, right? But still the sport is to do damage. The sport is for hurt. So, I mean, it does have to be valued. So I, I don't mind that. Yeah. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, I just, I look back, I, l I look at it and I think this is just going to be a conversation we continue to have for years and years and years until they fix it, until they change something, because there's just always, and the thing is, there's not any real controversy here. It was a bad scorecard. Oliveira won the fight. He got a finish, right? Like it's at the end of the day, <laughs> the right person won the fight. They, yeah. they messed up a scorecard, but like, you know, I don't like it if somebody messes up a scorecard and it affects the outcome of the fight and the wrong person wins it, you know. Yeah. But in this case, I mean, are we are we just bickering for no reason here? Like, I mean, Oliveira got the win 49 seconds after they scored a 10-8, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's it's kind of a moot point. Yeah. What about Chandler now? The big talk is where does he move from here? What's Gaethje, next? make the fight. Book it. Chandler versus Gaethje. Yeah. It's the fight you need to make right now. You book that fight, and you – and then you know what you – know, you know why you book that fight? Because if you're going to bank on Poirier and, and McGregor getting the next title fight – if you're the promotion, and people are going to hate that I say this, but this is the reality of the business, you want to have some leverage if you're the promotion. You want to yes. be able to say, hey, we just booked Gaethje and Chandler. The winner of that fight can get the next title shot. right? We don't, we don't need to give you the next title shot. If, if you're asking for too much money, or if you want too much, or if you want to have it on a certain date, we have a backup plan. For a promotion, it's always good to have a backup plan. And I know people are yep. going to be angry at me for saying this and whatever. It's just the reality of this business is that the promotions always want to have... Look, I spoke to Carla Esparza this week, and she was saying that she was offered the fight with Wei Li in December. Like They, they were having problems negotiating with Rose. The, the weird thing about that to me is that Brian Butler represents Esparza, Rose, and Wei Li. So it's like they were having trouble speaking to Rose's team, but he manages he Rose's does team it and all. Esparza yeah. and Wei Li. It's like, what's going on yeah. here? But either way... Um, you know, I, may, I would probably have to speak to Brian about that and find out what the deal is, but... Uh, if you look at that particular situation, they had a backup plan. They said to Rose's, they said to Rose's team, "Listen, we want to make this fight in December. If you're not ready, or you don't want to, or you want this much money, or whatever, we have as far as waiting." They like to have that. They like yeah. to have that plan. So I think you you book Gaethje versus Chandler in like August. You just call them and say, "Listen, you know, Mike, we, you know, you say you want to retire a UFC champion, or you want to get a UFC championship before you retire. We're giving you an avenue to stay relevant, to stay in the mix." He'll say yes. Yeah. Gaethje's team, I don't know. But I think it would be in their best interest to say yes to that as well. Yeah. I think – what What do you think the UFC is hoping? I, I'm guessing is Connor winning, but Poirier winning for sure gives him a title shot. Is that the case? The promotion because... always wants Connor to win. Yeah. <laughs> they, they would never admit this. From a no, business sure. standpoint, okay. it's good business – for McGregor to win and for McGregor to have a one in three record in, in his last four is not good for business. But do you give him a title shot, Connor winning? I think so, if you can make the terms work. Okay. The, but, you know, then the problem is what happened the last two times that McGregor became the champion. He just he went and did boxing. He didn't defend the featherweight. He's never defended a title. Because I hear people saying if, if Connor does win, Maybe it's better to give Gaethje the title shot against Oliveira next. But why? Because of that record, you know, not having the winning record. Listen, but beating Poirier, Poirier, Poirier puts is him the at number, number one, guy in the right? Poirier, you know, they've said Poirier is the uncrowned champion and all that. Whatever. So I think he's the, him, I think he he's the best then. guy in the division. I, I'm not going to call him the uncrowned champion because I, we, we just had a guy 
prepare for a championship fight, win the championship, I think it's disrespectful yeah. to Charles, Charles Oliveira. I agree. And yeah. I also think that Charles Oliveira versus Poirier is a very competitive fight. But I think that if you beat Poirier, you're the guy. You're next in line. Okay. Yeah, no, I like it. I think anyone against Oliveira is fun. So any I of agree. these guys. So there's no, it doesn't there's matter no to me. Yeah. yeah, I'm not losing anyways. I'm, I'm, I'm dialed in. Yeah, as I'm long as it's one it. of those three guys. And, I mean, even Darius should be a fun fight. And that was a fight yeah. that was booked. But Darius, I think, is going to take the rest of the year off, or at least until December, because they're, they're having a baby. That's um, a good move. Yeah, well, he wants to. He's, he's talked about that. He said, listen, my family's the most important thing to me. I know I'm kind of in the championship mix, but uh, he wants to spend time with his kids. So, I mean, obviously nobody's going to fault him for that. Uh, and uh, we, why don't we move on to him? I mean, his fight with, with Tony Ferguson. I think he had a very good game plan, and he stuck to it, and he won. I, I I don't think that he really was in any trouble in that fight, wherever it went. But the path of least resistance seemed to be on the ground. Yeah, and what was the the criticism he was getting? They like stand him up, and just because of the ankle, and people wanted him to. I don't know. I've don't been here. I was hearing different things. I don't know. There shouldn't have been not controversy. Numbers. I mean, just from a game planning point on his perspective, I've been hearing a lot of people talking. Well, listen, the one thing that I I don't like about that fight is the ref should have stopped it when Ferguson yelled in pain. They've referees are supposed to stop fights in, in those instances. If you're in a submission and a, a a fighter screams out in pain, you stop that fight because his you know Darius said he heard pops, several pops. And yeah, you also yeah. saw that in the third round, Ferguson comes out and he can't really plant his foot. He can, and if you can't plant your foot, you're not going to be able to land damaging strikes. So yeah. he's done in that situation. I mean, I mean am, I, am I wrong? In that yeah. situation, as soon as that injury happens, he has basically a 0% chance of winning the fight. I, I mean, I don't want to say 0% because anything can happen in this sport. Yeah. But I think that... Sugar Sean O'Malley, right? The O'Malley, but that was yeah, the riding out the fight. That was well, yeah. That was well. That was his opponent's fault. His opponent took him down. Yeah. <laughs> his opponent took him down instead of going for the. Yeah, if and he, then he got if the opponent would have stood and... up. That fight's over. Yeah. it was just bad fight IQ on Sukumtot's part. But in that situation, the round ends. They let his the they let Ferguson go out. They, you know, this is a new corner for Ferguson. They're not going to say like, no, you shouldn't go out there. Their best interest is not really protecting him. I hate to say it, but this is a brand new camp, a brand new corner. And no disrespect to Freddie Roach or Ben Saunders or anybody else in that corner, but yeah. you, you want you're trying to build a bond with this fighter. Stopping that fight in between rounds is not going to help you build that no, bond. No, you can't. You couldn't. I mean, how many years he's fought? You let him go. You let him go, knowing how tough he is. I mean, it's like I said, it, it should be Darius to go out there and start kicking that leg and finish it off. Yeah, you know, for get, sure. Get it. Do it. That's your job. Go out and finish it. Well, so what he did I mean, is he took him down. Like, Tony wasn't going to have any chance of stopping the takedown if he can't plant his feet properly. Took him down, yeah. won the fight, right? He, he did what he had to do to win that fight. So I'm not going to fault Darius for that. But, yeah, that's the one thing that that I, I don't think a lot of people are talking about. The referee should have a responsibility there to stop that fight. If you if there's a pop and Ferguson yells out in pain, I mean, it happened in the Jacare fight. I mean, obviously, when Jacare's arm broke, you could hear it in the arena. It was that, that's yeah, bad. Yeah. Right. But I just yeah, I just think it people wanted him to go for the kill, you know, instead of like taking it down, go for the excitement value was kind of the point they were trying to make. All right. Like to to win fans, you know, to win the excitement, like or do you take the path that been you're winning? It's safer. I mean, it's the smarter move what he did. I think it does. I think you'd go with the smarter move. This is this is a career defining fight for him in terms of getting like if you lose that fight, it's going to take you a long time to get back into the lightweight five, top five, right? This is the lightweight division. This is a division of just absolute sharks. Yeah. So if you're gonna if you're gonna 
be against Tony Ferguson? Why put yourself in any risk at all if you can win that because fight? Because he's like basically, like you said, he's a standing target. Like me, I, I would have went spin kick to the head. I would have done a 360 turning kick. I would have. I have a target for me to go off and do something uh, Raymond Daniels to do Michael Venom Page something, right. you know? That's my personal. I would have done it. But I like what he's like he did. Well, but talking think, to, it's weird. Talk to Dariush. And you hear Darius talking after the fight. He doesn't remember the fight, really. And it's not because no, he you don't. took any damage. Really? He yeah. just says he's in there. He's, he's basically in cruise control. He's, and, and as soon as the fight ends, he basically says that it's almost a race from his memory. He says, he said to me the first 60 seconds or 90 seconds of the fight, I can't remember what he said. It was like watching in slow motion. Like everything was going yeah. so slow. <laughs> yeah. And then right after that, he just doesn't – it was like a, a flash in time. Yeah. I heard him talking um, – uh... Uh, with Brett Akimoto about uh, the Tesla situation. I thought that was funny too. Well, I mean, these Tesla guys are getting creative now. These, these, uh, these post fight things. I mean, they become good with Mark. Uh, was it uh, Julian Marquez? Yep. Not, uh, yeah, calling out. The, I mean, I, I just, the chiefs. I love that. Um, other celebrities are coming back and responding. It's just showing how much the sport's growing. If this happened probably 10 years ago, Elon Musk isn't replying. Oh, no, you know, these not. big names aren't replying. <laughs> they like, don't even hear about it. Just, yeah, I mean, this is just crazy to see like Shaq, The Rock, you know, Elon Musk. It just shows how big things are getting and they're listening and responding to these post-fight things. I think it's awesome. Well, one thing I really want, I think that needs to be addressed as well is this, according to Sports Business Journal, uh, John Oran, the media reporter there, said that this did over 300,000 buys on U.S. pay-per-view only, ESPN+. Plus. That is a massive number for for a fight that I think two years ago would have done 100,000, 150,000. Mm-hmm. I feel like the core audience of the UFC, because of the pandemic and because of how they, they handled things and, and kept stayed relevant and stayed – I think that, honestly, this sport has grown so much year over year. When you hear Dana White say that last year was their best year to date and that this year is going to be their best year to date, I believe it when I see numbers like yeah. that because that – 300,000 is is a really good number in this day and age for a pay-per-view that really was almost a one-fight one-fight pay-per-view and also two guys that are not household names in Chandler and Oliveira like that. There's not a lot of juice in that on that main card if you're uh, a casual fan. A casual, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, that fight Chandler versus Oliveira is a fight that I was super excited for as somebody who covers the sport and I thought it was a great card, but I think that if you're on the outside looking in, it's Saturday night you know, there are probably other things you could be doing to, for 300,000 yeah. people to buy that. And of course, lots more are streaming it and whatever it is, what it is. Uh, that's for the UFC to deal with. But um, I, I think that that number shows that there's just a, the audience has grown. Like the, the audience of people that are going to be watching every pay-per-view is starting to, to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I mean, like you said, the 300,000 and like, you look at the card as a casual, be like, oh, this Edson Barboza guy. I know him. He's good. He's fighting Shane Burgos. Who's that? The fight of the night. I mean, like, it it was the card delivered. I mean, whether, you know, it was a fight night or a pay-per-view, it, it delivered. And it was fantastic. I just hated talking about Burgos, um, seeing that reaction. I mean, that those were uh, scary fights that I don't like to see um, from people that uh, are good in the sport. You know, it's yeah, scary. for sure. And, I mean, basically, his... his... His body shut down on him. His brain shut down on him. It's, it was weird to see. And Burgos basically was walking around the back afterwards and said he was totally fine. Didn't even want to go to the hospital. Um, of course, he did go to the hospital and everything was clear. So, I mean, that's good news. But, uh, yeah, that was very strange to see. You don't see that very often. Yeah. And when I was watching that fight, part of me looks at Edson Barboza as like a Charles Oliveira. 
I think that's someone that, you know, we'll probably see fight for a title again in the future, I think. Yeah, I think he he's really renewed himself at featherweight. You know, a lot of people said that they thought he beat Dan Ige as well, so that would make him three and zero at featherweight. But the record's the record; he's two and one at featherweight. Yeah. But so many good matchups that are you know in that featherweight division going forward for Barboza. There's it's so crazy. many different options. Yeah, who do you like for him? Well, let me What's let me next? let me pull up the old rankings. I mean, I saw a lot of people say Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie's currently matched up with Dan Ige. I think that would be a fun fight down the line. Uh, let's go. Let's take a look here. So Volkanovski Ortega are matched up. Holloway doesn't have anybody, but I think Holloway's going to wait for the next title shot. Um, Calvin return. Calvin, nice I Calvin think Calvin's. Return? I think Calvin's waiting until later this year to return. But Calvin versus Barboza. Josh Emmett versus Barboza would be a. Oh, that would be a fun one. Good scrap. Oh, Giga Chikadze versus Barboza. Oh, Giga back. Sign yeah, me up that's, for that. That's that's the one. There you go. That's yeah, the you one. Go. We found it. There you we go. You, na- you nailed it. We've Stop it. it. Stop yeah, there. Conversation it. ends. Done. Giga Next. versus Edson Barboza. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that that's the one to make. I mean, it, it's scary because you know what Barboza can do all around, and we know that Chikadze is more of a you know a striker. So, but still, it, I think that's the one for sure. A great brainstorming session we just had. That's Joe. it. Yeah, we just solved the featherweight uh, <laughs> world problems right there. Made Dana wife's life easy. Yeah. The matchmaker should, uh, should should certainly be sending us yeah. a, uh, McMaynard? A, gift, a gift at Christmas, yeah. Yep. So uh, what else did we uh, did we we touched on? We didn't touch on, I guess, Chukagian gets the win over Araujo. I know a lot of people were mad at that 30-27 scorecard. Uh, Rogerio Bontarin beats Matt Schnell. That was a good fight. Um, yep. And uh, Lando Venata got a split over Mike Grundy, 30-27 each way. You always love seeing that on the judges' scorecards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that I think that's where that the last fight frustration came from. These little building things throughout the night, and then that's why that ten eight got blown out of. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, but I mean, and people are saying it's Texas, but the the judges of that main event that gave it a ten eight, it was like Chris Lee, uh, Marcos Rosales, and I think it was Sal Diamato. Like these, these are three judges that judge everywhere. These aren't Texas judges. The one judge that gave Mike Grundy the thirty twenty seven was a Texas judge that usually you know judges boxing. <laughs> it's like th- those are the ones that you you don't like seeing. Yeah, and in the prelim, I mean, I knew uh, two fighters on it. I mean, I, I know Sean Serrano really well. I mean, what a banger of a fight! That was a great fight. Great fight. I mean, just sucked to see him get submitted that way. But uh, his first round is low kicks. Uh, very good fun fighter to watch, and it sucked to see uh, the way Gina Mazzani went out like that too. I mean, she, she ran uh, out of gas. Yeah, and took some big shots. So hopefully she's doing well. Uh, Giagos versus Sean Soriano. Uh, you know, see, Soriano moved up a weight class. I think this is going to yeah, be a new small. Sean Soriano that we see in I the hope UFC. So. This is a second stint, but I think at featherweight, when he moves down and he has a full camp, this is a guy that people that train with. People, I think he's at Sanford MMA. They they love yeah. training with this guy. I mean, he's just yeah. one of the, the the guys that you always hear people at that gym continue to mention. It's great to see him back in the UFC. So, yeah. shout out. You to You know Sean who his Soriano. best friend? His best friend is uh, Robin Van Roosmalen. Yeah, that's how we met in Doha, and they've trained together. They're brothers, so I mean, it's like that's why, like, I mean, his kickboxing, like, he's probably Hoof's best kickboxing student in the gym. Yeah, Yeah. I think he coaches for him. He holds mitts for all the guys. He he's he's his kickboxing is phenomenal, and he's been around the MMA game. So I'm I'm excited to see. Hopefully, he gets a nice matchup. Uh, This weekend, we got Font versus Garbrandt in the main event. Uh, That should be certainly a fun one. I like so, the un- I like the under in this fight, Joe. <laughs> really, you know, and I think it's going to be a decision. Really? Wow. Well, let's yeah. see. I think both guys. 
listen, Rob's not stupid. He knows the power that Cody Garbrandt has. So I think he's going to just play that long, patient game and try to like wear him down. But Cody's good, man. I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to. I think I think Font is going to try to bait him into a firefight. I think I think Font trusts his chin more than he trusts Garbrandt. And you chin. think Garbrandt's going to catch him? No, I think vice versa. I think I think Font. You think? Oh, Font one of them. One of them is going to get caught. But I think that yeah, yeah. Garbrandt has such good power, so I don't want to write off Cody. But I mean, I think if if Cody takes the bait, I don't think he's going to win that fight. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think I... Cody needs to stay measured. He's going to have yeah. Mark Henry in his corner, which is going to I think help him. But we'll see. Well, it's going to be Cody is going to be, and I could, with Mark Henry's style too, it's going to be almost like sli- you got to get away from the jab. So how do you get away from the jab? You got two issues. You can slip your head and counter, which probably since Garbrandt's his boxing is his number one, it's probably going to be trying to faint slip and rip off of that. Or you got to take the calf. You got to kick the calf. So maybe Garbrandt's been working some calf kicks on Font because Font's been hit with a few of those. I'm going to take a look at the updated odds for that fight because uh, it was close to even money before. Font minus 115, Cody one, minus 105. So it's like it's pretty much close to even yeah, money. Yeah, basically a pick em. Yeah. And then speaking Great of basically fight. a pick em, co-main event, Yon Xiaonan minus 125, Carlos Esparza plus 105. Basically, this is going to come down to whether or not Esparza is able to get her to the ground with consistency. Yeah. That grinding, Carla, I don't know, that experience. What's, uh, what's your gut feeling on that one? Well, Yon opened oh, as a pretty please. big favorite. And the money started to come in on Carla. Um, I'm going to just take a look at Jan's takedown defense. Yeah, 75% takedown defense. So that's pretty good. She was taken down by Claudia, who's a very good wrestler. She was taken down by Angela Hill. Uh-huh. Taken down by Kaylin Curran. And her, that was back in 2017, though. It was more than three years ago. But I think that that I would lean Jan. I think that Jan, because the scoring, the way people are scoring fight has changed, control is not given as much credence as it was in the past yeah i agree which People i like are looking at damage now and the judges are looking at damage and i think that yon has a much better chance of damaging asparza than vice versa and yeah. i think that as this fight creeps closer to an even money fight as the odds get better and better i think yon shaunan is definitely playable as it gets closer yeah i agree i like that but again every time you bet against carla she's the one that comes down yeah, and proves you wrong she's one of so. the least safe people to bet against in this yeah i wouldn't sure. touch that fight because i know well carla i'm telling you i've i've picked Carla to lose and she's been like a, a plus 300 she, I mean and she pulls it off so I mean I will I have a hard time betting against Carla well uh, I, I don't think she's ever been a plus 300 she, I'm I, just, guess I, she just, I just made up a okay. number <laughs> she was against Suarez and lost that fight and she was a pl- like around the, she was a, she was a pretty big under, uh, underdog a few times I, I against Calvillo she was a pretty big underdog I think she won that fight yeah that, might, that might be the one that she was a pretty, she was an underdog against Rose the first time they fight, fought. But but if she beats if no, she beats Yon, if she beats Yon, she's gonna fight for the title next. I'm pretty confident she'll face uh, Rose next because I think that they the, the story sells itself. You know, Rose, young Rose in the sport, fighting for the championship against Carla. Carla, more experienced, gets the win. Now Rose is the champion. Carla gets a shot. If Rose beats Carla, Rose will have beaten every champion that the division's ever had. So yeah. it's kind of a Beautiful. good story. Yeah, I'm into it. I like the Justin Taffa fight because yeah. I know his brother and I know uh, the power that that man has is always fun. I think he's gonna he's gonna score a KO in that fight. Yeah. What are What's the odds his? Uh, yeah. Well, he's minus one seventy five to win, plus one hundred five KO. Sign me up. Yeah, I like it. I uh, like Felicia, it a lot. Felicia Spencer's a minus one seventy five favorite over Norma Dumont. I posted an interesting stat yesterday. Felicia Spencer has more cage time 
against Nunez and Cyborg in those two fights than Ronda Rousey's entire MMA career, amateur and pro combined. So she spent a lot of time in the cage with two of the best of all time. Yep. She took big shots in those fights, too. I mean, she got around on Cyborg. Let's not forget. Yep. I'll give her that. Um, I think she beats Dumont here, but uh, I'm not sure what the, the future of that division holds. I know Dumont kept trying to make bantamweight and was missing weight quite a bit, but uh, Spencer by sub is plus 295. That being said, Dumont's pretty good at uh, at grappling herself. I mean, Dumont by plus 850 might be worth a play if you want if you like Dumont at all. I I mean, I think that's Dumont's best best path to victory as a sub. So we'll see. And then going into the prelims, I didn't I didn't. This is my first time being able to look at them. There's some surprisingly good fights on it. Which ones do you nope. like? I like Ramos fighting. Always a big fan of him. Yeah, I get Algio. That's a good one. Yeah, I like seeing Ismagulov back. He hasn't fought. When was the last time Ismagulov fought? It was twenty? It was two years ago almost. It was August twenty nineteen. This guy's a fun fighter to watch. Like if if you like a guy that's just gonna stand on the feet and just um, go, yeah, and just go. And you know his opponent Rafael Rafael Alves. He was the guy that in his last fight missed weight by like fifteen pounds or something like that, or twelve pounds. Do you remember that? Like a, I'm trying to remember how much he missed mm. by. It might be. It's almost a record, I think. Um, he missed weight. He was supposed to face um, Pat Sabatini. He missed by 11.5 pounds. And he said that he got some bad salmon. And that. Ha- so when he said that, I said, if you got bad salmon and you were throwing up, you'd lose weight. You wouldn't be gaining weight. You'd yeah. be losing weight. But he came out this week and said that uh, he was on weight for that fight. And he found, out his- he found out shortly, I think the day that he was supposed to start cutting weight, that his wife had a miscarriage. And he oh. purposely missed weight by that much so that the fight would get called off. He just said he couldn't do it. He couldn't fight. So, oh, man. So, I mean, that's a pretty uh, – he basically got on the phone with Dana White and explained to him, like, what happened. And Dana White was like, listen, we got stuff going on in our personal lives. You know, we'll, we'll give you another chance. Don't worry about it. So he's fighting up a division now against Ismagulov. I'm sure he's going to be very hungry coming into this one. But, I mean, Ismagulov is, I think, one of the best – um, he he's a guy that you're not going to beat over the course of three rounds. You need to finish this guy because on the feet he's so dynamic. Now the the Jack Hermanson Edmund uh, Shabazian fights off, right? No, no, that was off of of last week's card. It's on for this week's card. Oh, okay. There's yeah, so much moved. confusion. Okay, yeah. I thought it was still off, and then I'm like, I'm seeing it on this card. No, it's so on. I was confused. It's on, baby. Right, I think good. it's opening up the main right. card. Even though yep, it's probably that... good enough to be the co-main, but uh... <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I'm surprised uh, you didn't. That wasn't one of our first things we brought up about the card. Yeah. Shabazian versus Hermanson's a good one. I, I heard John McCarthy say, again, on, on their podcast, that he thinks it's a, a dumb move for Shabazian to jump right back into, like, facing a top seven guy. I guess his last fight against Brunson, Brunson was ranked seventh, and now Hermanson's ranked seventh. He thought that Shabazian should go move back a little bit, take a step back, try to get a more winnable fight. Do you agree with that? I, I just don't know enough about him, but from... What I know about him is that everybody who is very, you know, people that you value in the sport speak very highly of him. Of who? Edmund? I mean, of Edmund, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're like, this kid's a stud. He's a future champion. Like, they speak so highly of him that I almost, but from what I see of him, he's not showing me that yet. So, I'm kind of torn. I think the hype behind him really speaks for himself, and he's confident. I mean, they think he's going to be the next champion, and they got a good opportunity. Like I don't, I don't mind that mentality. So I mean, it would suck for him to lose, but if he's as good as he is and he's got that hype, this is the guy you got to do it. And think of how young he is too. Like the the amount that you can gain from one fight camp to the next is a lot. Like I think that he's going to come come in a better fighter. 
Yeah, it depends because this he's lost two in a row now, right? Uh, no, just one. He lost oh, to Brunson. Okay. That was his only loss that he's ever had. Before that, I thought maybe he was tested or something happened. Not or, really. I'm not too I, sure. He's, he's been pretty Or dominant. there was a vulnerable moment in that fight that kind of something. I remember just something. I don't remember what it was. He's 23 years old. Let's go through his resume. So he, he won a, got a head kick win. Basically, it's all first-round finishes. The only time he didn't was in his, his UFC debut against Darren Stewart. It was a split decision win. But other than that, he was doing some Ronda type stuff. First round finishes and submissions are across the board. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see what he, let's see what he's about. Let's show it. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the knockout win it. over Brad Tavares means a lot to me. I think first round KO over Tavares. Tavares is a really good fighter who uh, he's only been he's only been knocked out three times. Just a career. veteran. And those three times are like Tim Boach. I was at that fight. I was in Maine, Bangor, Maine. The Bangor, maniac Maine. Tim Boach with a come from behind knockout. Ben, you the, know what Bangor, Maine reminds me of? The Mighty that? Ducks. Why remember that? the goalie in Mighty Ducks? Where are you from? Bangor, Maine. She was the, the goalie, oh, yeah, Julie, the female goalie was, yeah. Yeah, in Mighty Ducks. She was from uh, Maine there. It's a beautiful place. If you ever have the chance to get out to Maine, uh, I would recommend it. Bangor, Maine, very nice place. Uh, I went with my dad for his 60th birthday, and then I drove to uh, we drove to the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield. We didn't even mean to. We, we were driving through, and we were looking for our first place to, first place to stop and stay over and it was like Springfield we landed ended up in Springfield Massachusetts I was like let's go to the basketball hall of fame tomorrow he was like okay that's a, all right something to do <laughs> just happened to be driving through so Is we he into basketball bas- yeah. at all or no yep he just wanted dad, to hang out yeah no, I just wanted to hang out to hang out with you that's know, nice son says you know let's do it he says okay yeah I would that, do those are nice moments my, if I was driving through where the Pokemon hall of fame was and my son said let's stop and see the Pokemon hall of fame by all means so we got went to the yeah, basketball hall of fame excited uh, yeah, and then uh, then we went to the uh, the card in uh, in in, May, in Maine before I was covering the sport. There you go. So you took him to the fights too? Yeah, we went to the fights. That, that was a reason for going. Went to oh the Maine. I got, I got oh, a second beautiful. row seat to uh to go uh to nice. see it, and that was my gift to him. I said, "Let's go. We'll go on a road trip." My dad was more into the UFC back then, uh, and we nice. went, and it was cool. Yeah, I take I've taken my dad to the glory shows as a commentator, which is nice. So we got to see a little you bit of the him, towns. He got to stuff. commentate the fight. That's a pretty big deal. No, I took him I'm to the joking. fights. It would be nice if he was the way you, you, the way you I took him it. to combo. Yeah, <laughs> we got he our guest commentator. He'd be pretty good. He'd be all right. <laughs> I think he'd watched enough now to be pretty good. <laughs> I think it would be fun if 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 you were like my dad's here. I brought him on. He's gonna join us for a fight. Yeah, they should at least a couple seconds of the <laughs> yeah, fight. I don't fun. know that kind of stuff that goes know. viral. They should be thinking about that kind of stuff. That's it. They didn't even let me go into the ring when Troy was fighting. You know, yeah, my exactly. best friend, my training partner, my main guy. And he's like, nope, you're staying in the commentary booth. I was like, all right. What if he would have won? Would so, you have interviewed him afterwards? Um, I don't th- – I would have probably, yeah, probably yes. probably, right? Okay. But I think at that fight wasn't on the commentary – there was no interview attached to the prelims at that oh, time. So, yeah. It would be funny if he, like, if he wins that fight and you're like in the second round when he when your opponent threw that jab, yeah. I feel like your head movement was a little bit off. Can you explain to? It's almost like you're you're debriefing with him after the fight. Yeah, it's, it's a, a little awkward. Like I've even had to do that with Ross Levine. Uh, he yeah. won and he's trained with me and he trains with the New England cartel guys mm-hmm. and he's a friend. So when I go in there, I was like, okay, it's kind of nice and not because I kind of like lead into it, but it's it's it is awkward, mm-hmm. you know, it's so awkward. But the people, a lot of the people watching wouldn't know that you and him have a connection, would they? 
You, yeah, you would think so. That close? You would think so. It depends, like, where it is, what it is, who follows. I mean, I don't know. You would think a lot would know. But I think most people should know that I'm friends with almost everybody. You yeah. know, like, I'm friends with so every fighter. So, I mean, that's why it's like – it's almost like when you see the UFC guys, it's almost like uh, when they see DC and they see Felder, it's almost like, yo, what's up, man? Good to see you. It's so nice. It's like you get that nice reaction because it's like your colleagues. It's fun. Uh, all right, so before we wrap, um, Bellator, we got uh, Chris Cyborg minus 1,300 against Leslie Smith. You got Darian yeah. Caldwell against Leandro Higo. Uh, great fight between Austin Vanderford and uh, Fabian Edwards. Uh, Jaleel Willis in action. He's an underdog. I don't know much about his opponent, but uh, Jaleel Willis is a fun fighter to watch. Uh, Danny Sabatello getting his debut in, in Bellator. Valerie Laredo's back in action. Tyree Fortune coming back. Lots lots to like about this Bellator card on uh, on Friday. Anything anything catch your eye? Um, I like the... Um... The Edwards fight in Vanderford, I think that'll be an interesting fight to watch. I mean, he both – that's uh, Leon Edwards' brother's apparently really good. Yeah. I mean, he, he's tough. I mean, he he's, you know, has title, I heard, steam behind him. But uh, Vanderford, too, is tough, does well. Yeah, I, I'll be keeping my eye on that one. And uh, Invicta's back. We've got uh... – Alicia Zapatella, the, uh, the the Atomweight champion against Jessica Dalboni. Apparently, Alicia Zapatella um, can't drive cars because she's too short. That's what somebody told me recently. She's their she, champion, she's, right? She's their champion. She's like 4'11". Yeah, yeah. She's like, it's hard for her to find a car that she can drive because she can't see over the dashboard. Yeah, so. we follow each other on Instagram. And because uh, my uh, my videographer, Danny here, um, he uh, he actually works for Invicta. So I was oh, like, cool. man, I'm like, she looks, I'm like, how short is she? She's like, yep, she's like under five years. Like, that's crazy. Okay, so is Danny out for the event or is he with you right uh, now? He'll be, he'll be for the next one. He'll That'd be, be here for content. the next show, yeah. Cool, all right. That's well, it. There you go, yeah. Um, some news and notes. Uh, apparently, Jacare likely has been cut from the UFC. He was removed from the uh, the oh, man. the fan. Uh, yeah, it's cruel world, right? <laughs> right uh, I was that. like, yeah. at least pay for, uh, I hope they're Legend still covering his expenses, at yeah. least. Yeah. yeah. Um. What do you think of George St. Pierre saying that he was supposed to box against De La Hoya and the UFC blocked it? Uh, I don't know if he was – I thought they were just talking to him. But, yeah, Dana White does not want to entertain any of this thriller stuff. He hates it. I saw someone in the post-fight interview just yeah. ask him, and he went off. I'd be so embarrassed if that was that guy. I'm like, I get it, but why do you have to scold the guy, you know, for just asking the you know the media attention stuff? But – yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think GSP would have done it, but we know Anderson Silva is. Yeah. Yeah, you know? he is. He's facing uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in like just a couple weeks, or I guess a yeah. month from now. Yeah, so I mean, the UFC seems to be doing it, but I don't know. But Let Anderson, Anderson was it. released, though. Anderson's free and clear to do whatever. Okay. George is GSP. still under contract. But Askren was under contract, and they lent Askren to Triller, so I don't know. Yeah, I've been hearing things on that with the Ben Askren being paid off now to like save his image. I don't know. This trailer stuff's getting crazy and carried yeah, away. And even J- weird. Jake Paul just got signed with Showtime yeah. Boxing yeah. now. Too. I was going to ask Look you about this. that. That's, that's pretty that. interesting. Yeah, I but mean... here's the thing: if they were going to lend, if the UFC were going to lend people to Triller, and they're not doing that anymore, there is not a chance they're lending anybody to Showtime that own that is showing Bellator and you no. know they they're like yeah I mean you might want to start looking at Bellator fighters now like Dylan Danis maybe is going to be J- Jake Paul's next opponent you can do a little bit of crossover but uh yeah I don't think that's going to happen ever again yeah I want I want Woodley for Jake Paul I want the Tyron Woodley yeah I think Woodley's, Woodley's pushing release. hard for it I mean I would like Woodley if if uh, he can he can do it I think he'll represent the UFC well uh Rory McDonald is going to be taking on Glayson Tebow at PFL5 that was announced yeah I want to that's give a, crazy too. 
want to give a shout out to. Uh, I was like, how's T Bow still going? T Bow still going? Still moving? Yeah. yeah, that's true. How? Uh, yeah, one, like, how is he still going? I want to give a, a shout out to uh, Arjun Buller. Won the uh, one championship Big heavyweight. Time, yep. Good, good. Well done, him. Arjun. Yeah, yep. he, now he trains looking... with my friend Jay Johnson. Yeah, Jay Johnson was there with... in this corner. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll we'll see what uh, what happens with uh, Arjun. He wants to go into pro wrestling next, and uh, I think that would be a good fit for him. Yeah, he's a good character. He's fun. He's he's strong. I mean, I think he tries to market himself well, being the first Indian champion. I mean, it's like is he? Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I like what he's doing. I like that he's bringing attention uh, to his culture, his people. He's he's growing a, a new demographic in the world, which is cool. But we also saw that Indian girl do well in uh, one FC too. So yeah. Indian MMA and might be something. And Darshan Singh. Yeah, something's good Toronto, over yeah. there. So I mean, why not? I like it. All right. Well, let's wrap this baby up, Joe. We'll be back next week. Uh, oh, actually, before we wrap this up, I'm going to throw to some interviews. We I put out the interview edition uh, yesterday. Okay. So you can check that out. It's got interviews uh, with Cody Garbrandt, Rob Font, um, Arjun Buller, the aforementioned mm-hmm. Arjun Buller. And uh, we had one other interview with Carla Esparza. So, uh, and and, and uh, Benil Dariu. So good interview edition, of course. But I also have interviews that I'm doing today that I'm going to put out on this show because uh, I want to get them out there. So uh, Shannon Knapp, get I believe, I'm out. speaking to today. And uh, I believe... We're speaking to uh, Rory McDonald today, and nice. Felicia, and Felicia Spencer. So, stick around. Right now, we're gonna we're gonna go to those interviews. Uh, appreciate your time, Joe. Uh, and here's our interview with Felicia Spencer on the TSN MMA show. I'm now joined by Felicia Spencer, who will face Norma Dumont this weekend. Your first bout since facing Amanda Nunes at UFC 250. How much better of a fighter do you think it made you to go the distance with both Cyborg and Amanda Nunes and face that level of competition for such a, a long duration? Um, you know, it's it's nice to have that as part of my experiences competing. And, you know, I feel like I'm definitely better for it. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, part of it is just having the confidence that I know whatever's thrown at me, I can handle. You know, I can take it. I can, you know, I'll still be there. I'm, I'm not going to get taken out very easily. And, you know, um, uh, give me a chance to, to impose my will and move forward. <laughs> I actually posted a stat the other day that the duration of time that you spent with Amanda Nunes and Cyborg is more than Ronda Rousey's entire UFC, or sorry, entire MMA career, pro and amateur combined. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. interesting. <laughs> it's a fun one. I mean, uh, I mean, you're, you're extremely tough uh, being able to go that five rounds with Amanda Nunes. Uh, did you have any sort of lingering effects after after the fact? Uh, well, you know, I definitely needed to take some time to heal up. I had, my nose was broken. I had a, a, uh, a crack in my orbital, so nothing major, you know, just, just, uh, stuff that I needed to, to rest for, you know, essentially just take some time. And the medical suspension was six months, which I thought, you know, I, I really wanted to stick to, like, I know people can get things like shortened and I'm like, I took a lot of damage, you know, I know I got hit a lot. So I wanted to make sure I left, you know, I gave my body a rest. I gave my, my brain a rest. And, you know, I was back to training pretty much full time around September, um, you know, just just enjoying training, you know, doing doing it all, getting better, just, you know, um, being in the gym and, and getting better. So. Um, so, yeah, definitely you know, took some time off that I needed and, and I was happy to get back to it. Yeah, I spoke to Neil Magny probably a couple months ago and he told me something that's really stuck with me, which is sometimes it's good to be able to train for yourself rather than train for an opponent to, to have 
the focus be entirely on your own skills rather than trying to match up with somebody. Did you find that to be uh, a real blessing for you to be able to have that kind of time to really focus on your own tools? Absolutely. You know, um, there were some some areas of my game we kind of just went went back to the building blocks and like just just, just you know reinforced the 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 the, the, the bottom skills and and it made all the other, all the higher level skills better to kind of reinforce that base. You know, so it's nice to just have the time to do that where if I was in camp it would be kind of like you know not not the game plan you know like you said it's not like what what we're training to fight for so it was nice to kind of you know um, work on myself yeah like just um, just train for love of training <laughs> another thing I had heard you say in, in some previous interviews was that uh, one of the things about the Nunes fight that was difficult for you to overcome was the fact that it got postponed that you had to really prolong your camp and, and have your focus on her for such a long period of time. Uh, why, why do you think that is, that you weren't able to really be at your peak at that point in time? And do you think that things would have been different, perhaps, if, if it would have gone off as scheduled? Um, you know, I, I, I can't say, you know, how different things would have been, but I do know that, you know, especially like going, you know, setting up camps and getting familiar with them, it's like you really do, uh, you know, you come up to the peak at a certain point, like you, you're, you're rising, but also like the little, the little, like not, not injuries, but like the soreness and like the, the, the little pains in your body also start to rise. So you want to like make them meet at the appropriate time. So if you wait too long, like right now, I feel like when my opponent switched out, I was like, if I can keep the same date, I'm happy because I feel like I'm peaking at the right moment. And like those little aches and pains are gonna are are coming up, but like they're very manageable right now. But if it continues, then I don't give my body that break. It's gonna be a crossover where the peak goes down and the pain goes up, you know. So with last year, I fought um, February, the end of February. So I was in camp the beginning of January. The following week, I got I uh, took on you know, an uh, eight week notice to fight Amanda. So I was immediately in camp again and then it got postponed. So it was, but it was in, it was like, stay ready. Cause we don't know when you're going to fight. And then, so I was in camp for six months solid. So it was uh, intense to be in camp, but maybe like, you know, five days off um, in between. But uh, so it was a lot. Yeah. My body definitely took a toll on it and I was happy to take that break after, um, but I mean, I, I can't, you know, I'm definitely not one to, to make an excuse and say like that was the reason that I lost because Amanda was on game, you know, she was, she was on point that night and, you know, more power to her. She did awesome. So she's a champ. So when you found out that this fight fell off, I don't know if they would have told you already that they had a replacement fighter lined up. You can fill me in on that, but that must be terrifying if they don't, because you don't want to go through that experience again. And as we know, it's, it's no secret. This division does not have a lot of bodies in it. Yeah, no, it was, it was all in the same text. It was one sentence, Danielle's out, Norma's ready to step in, you know, uh, you ready to take that? And it's like, yeah, you know, I can't say no to that. So I was, uh, that was what I was most grateful for is that the date was able to stay the same and, you know, um, having a switch in opponent, you know, a lot of things I was working on actually, um, you know, some things changed a little bit strategy wise, but like the, the foundation of what I was working on, I think actually works even more in my favor. Like I, I was just feeling so good with what, you know, with what we've been doing and having, uh, having going from a specialist like Danielle, like being a boxer, a straight boxer to a well-rounded opponent, I think just allows me to, to show more skills and shine better. So. 
that must have been a massive relief that they weren't like, stand by, we're going to find out if we can figure this out. You actually knew it all at the same time. So that's, that probably yeah. saved you a lot of aggravation and stress. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about uh, Norma. I mean, like you mentioned, Danielle, very much a specialist, a former pro boxer. We saw what she did on the Ultimate Fighter. And now, uh, sorry, on the Dana White Contender Series, rather. And now we, we look at Norma. Um, we saw her most recent fight against Ashley Evans-Smith. Ashley was trying to take her down, and she was able to transition really well um, and, and scramble quite well. But uh, I think that with your size versus Ashley Evans-Smith, who I believe has fought at flyweight before, it might not be as easy for her to do that this time around. Yeah, you know, I think, I think Norma's tough. I think she's, uh, like I said, she's well-rounded. Um, so she's got, you know, I think she's mainly looking to probably like punch, you know, she's got kicks. She's like you said, she's got like wrestling a little bit. We've got, saw her on the ground, but, um, like I am bigger than, than her last win. You know, I feel like that will play a little factor that we're more the same size. And, uh, I feel like I'm just, I'm just better everywhere. I feel like she's, she's good, but I'm just better. You know, I'm just that next level in everywhere. I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to be comfortable. Uh, so I'm excited to, you know, just, just uh, control the fight in every moment that I can, you know. So, uh, so yeah, for me, I feel like it's an exciting matchup. I think it's a, a matchup where I can really show show things people haven't seen before. Now, I know you're probably sick of people asking you about the future of this division, but I will say that there was a, a, a piece of news that came out recently. You know, I had asked Dana White about Kayla Harrison because Kayla's contract expires at the end of this PFL season. And he had said, I don't know if she's ready. I don't know if her people think she's ready. And he kind of reiterated that in a recent interview as well, but said, when she's ready... We're interested, which to me indicates that they are looking at keeping the 145-pound division around, at least until that domino falls. So is, is that good news when you look at that to know that there's a little bit more clarity on, on the future of this division? Sure, yeah. I feel like, you know, I feel like they shouldn't just look at one person as the future, but, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, um, I, yeah, I didn't really even follow the whole, you know, the whole um, – conversation back and forth but i think i think that's great you know any any promotion for the featherweight or the lightweight divisions you know the heavier divisions that that just haven't had a lot of traction uh, in mma for women i i'm excited about so I'm, I'm really happy for for kayla and what she's accomplished over at pfl and you know um hopefully she will fight for the ufc one day and i don't know if it's more of like a money thing than uh than anything but um you know we are prize fighters so she should you know continue to fight wherever she's most comfortable fighting. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be exciting to um, to have Kayla Harrison fight for the UFC one day. Is it nice to see a lot more options for you right now? I mean, you look at the the PFL has that 155-pound division. Obviously, Cyborg's moved over to Bellator. The UFC still has the featherweight division. Invicta has the featherweight division. It seemed like for a time, if you were fighting at 145 pounds or above in the women's division, there weren't that many landing spots. Do, do you like looking uh, at that as knowing that, you know, if whatever happens with the UFC, let's say the division goes south, there are a lot of other places that you could go. Yeah, it's nice. And I, you know, it's, it's nice that I was, I feel like maybe I was part of, you know, building it and in Invicta and then, you know, getting to the UFC and not that I brought it to the UFC, but you know, that's, that's something that I really strove to do um, as a professional, you know, being in the featherweight division, I just really wanted to, help establish the division wherever I went and, you know, just having, I've had, this will be my fifth fight in the division in the UFC. So, um, so I, I feel good about that. Like I really want the division to, to exist even after me, you know, after I'm gone and, you know, the next, the next, um, girls come on up. Like I, I, that's part of what I'm trying to do is, is like give the opportunity to the next 
to the next girls coming up. So, um, so yeah, it's really awesome. It's exciting to see all the platforms that, that are an option now. Have you watched Kayla Harrison's fights? Uh, I was wondering what you think of her in terms of uh, how good you think she is and uh, where you think she ranks right now among the, the top women in the sport. Do you think that you can make uh, a real assessment of her based on her level of competition? I, you know, she she looks good. You know, she's been fighting very well. Uh, don't really see a lot of mistakes from her. And, you know, she's the level of competition, you know, sometimes not, you know, not definitely not like what you'd see in the UFC uh, for everybody. But, you know, she she has fought tough girls. There have been tough girls in, in the um, the tournament. Some of them have been a little smaller. But, um, you know, I have nothing really bad to say about her, her skill set. You know, she looks like she's she's obviously put time in and, and, you know, she was a specialist, but she's, she looks pretty, um, she's getting very well-rounded. So I think she's, uh, definitely a, you know, a big, a big name and a big, uh, she's got a lot of skills. So happy for her. Well, Felicia, I'd be a much better interviewer if I was able to get you to say something bad about anybody. It doesn't seem like that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's in your wheelhouse. Um, now. Yeah, it's not your fault. That's not, that's my fault. I'll take the blame. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't do it. I don't know. There's not a lot of fighters out there that I that I really don't just don't like, you know, like I, especially because I just don't know them. Like, there's uh, you know, there's so much behind what you see in the cage that I just even when there's not good performances for someone, you know, to to look at, I I just know they have so much more um, in the gym that that has never been shown to the world. So I always have that benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Right, so you gave me an opening there. You said there's not a lot of people fighters out there that you don't like, so there must be a few that you don't like. Can you name them for me? <laughs> um, off the top of my head, I, don't, I can't really think of any, but, um, you know, people who get a little too smug sometimes rub me the wrong way, but it's, you know, it is what it is. It's all part of the game, right? <laughs> well, I tried. Uh, one thing yeah. that's... <laughs> nice try. <laughs> one thing that's going to be different for this particular fight is your husband, Todd, didn't make the trip with you. He's not going to be in your corner. Um, what, what was the impetus of that decision, and why did he decide to, I guess, stay home altogether? Uh, well, I, I really wanted to have another corner. I've been working really closely with another striking coach, Richard Grendel, and uh, you know, I felt like it was it was fair for me and for him to be in my corner. I felt like we worked together a lot over the last couple of years, and uh, you know, I was kind of like we talked. I, I talked with uh, my head coach Mike, and you know, kind of talked about who. You know, I only can bring three, so I had to make a decision of who was not going to come, and and Todd was first to say you know like you got this you, you know I'm just here for you know moral support he's he's kind of like uh my wrangler like when I'm here he just he just makes sure everything's taken care of but I I know my last fight camp went so so smoothly with the weight cut and everything I knew um you know that we could do it without him you know that it was that it was okay that he wouldn't come and um he makes it fun though he definitely makes fight week fun he's he's definitely a character to to have around during uh during a stressful time <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it, he was uh, first to say that I should have my coaches around, and you know he'll watch from home. Well, is one part of <laughs> is one part of that that having him there with you is it's hard to separate you know your professional time when you're really in fight mode from your home life because I mean you see Todd every day. Uh, obviously, you guys are married, so it's it's a different relationship than you have with your other coaches. Is is it is it kind of a test right now to see if things go differently when when he's at home and you're here without him? Um, you know, it really doesn't feel, feel, feel weird. It feels, it's, it's fine. You know, um, we've been apart, you know, he's gone on trips without me and I, I, uh, you know, I actually traveled without him to do my grappling match in Portland in December. I did the submission underground match and that was 
I, I ha- wasn't allowed to have any coaches or anyone with me. So I just traveled alone and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go do this by myself. And uh, he had, he went to see his daughter's soccer game that weekend anyway. And so I kind of had that experience already of being kind of solo, but you know, I have, I came out here with my coach Grindle and um, you know, we're just, we're just enjoying time. Just kind of like playing by the book. You know, I had media day yesterday, I had this, I had that. You know, just uh, just kind of waiting for the weigh-in day and waiting for fight day. And then just I'm really actually more looking forward to going home now because uh, I'm just ready to celebrate with my friends and, you know, uh, you know, enjoy a good meal at home and everything. So. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get that celebration moving this this Saturday. Yourself, Norma Dumont. Uh, kudos to her for taking the, the fight on short notice. And uh, I appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Please be joined now by Rory McDonald, who headlines PFL 5 against uh, another UFC veteran, longtime UFC veteran, Gleason Tebow. What was your reaction when you found out that Gleason was your uh, your next opponent? Well, I was I'm excited. You know, I think Gleason's a savvy veteran. He's fought everybody in the sport, and uh, I think he brings a lot to the table. UFC veteran, um, so I'm really happy with the matchup. I'm confident, excited, looking forward to it. Now, it seemed to me in your last fight, we saw the Rory McDonald of old, the Rory McDonald that was very fierce, focused, and determined to get the win. Uh, Do you feel different in there this time around? I definitely felt like with all my experience that I've had and with my new, um, you know, my newfound kind of approach and motivation and fire and passion to achieve my goals, I definitely felt at my best. What reignited that? You know, if, if there was something that you feel was the, the number one determining factor for getting you back into that, you know, that mode of ferocity, what would it be? Um, some time off to reflect on, you know, if I really wanted to keep going in this sport. And if I was going to do it, what did I, what, uh, you know, realizing what I actually want to achieve. And then um, setting a plan on, how to do that. When would you say you were most on the fence? You talk about whether or not you wanted to continue in the sport. When, when did you have your biggest moment of doubt? Um, probably right after the Musasi fight. And why, why do you think that is? Well, you know, life got pretty comfortable at that point in time after I won the title against uh, um, Douglas Lima. And uh, I just kind of got comfortable. I, uh, I didn't push out of my comfort zone. You know, life was changing. I was getting married. I had having kids, got a house. And life just totally changed for me com- from when I grew up. And I didn't handle it well. I didn't stay grounded and stay focused on, on uh, what I w- was supposed to achieve, you know. And I, I just kind of lost focus. What were some of the things that you did to get you out of that comfort zone? Well, like I said, I, I you know, I set a plan. And, um, you know, uh, knowing what I know through my experience and, you know, the highs and the lows of the sport, looking back on what got me into those highs, um, you know, implementing that back into my training program and into my lifestyle. Was there a part, uh, a point in your career where it was it wasn't as fun to win a fight? It wasn't as gratifying to win a fight. Was there a point in time? 
Yeah, a point at any point in your career where it just felt like a little bit less gratifying to win a win a fight, or does it feel less gratifying every time because you're used to it by now? Um. Yeah, I guess after I fought, um, after I fought uh, Gracie, uh, Neiman Gracie, I uh, I don't know. I didn't feel I didn't feel like super satisfied with myself. Um, even though I felt like, even though it was a draw against John Fitch, I felt like not so great about that one. Even though I thought, like looking back, I think I won the fight. Um, so those fights just kind of were meh. I didn't really have a any highs of those fights. It seems like you felt really good after this last fight. Like you, your your reaction was one of like, yes, everything clicked. I'm back where I need to be. Yeah, yeah, you know, just, you know, because I, I'm pursuing something now with meaning, it's it's meaningful for me, you know, and I'm working towards a goal, you know, I'm, I'm sacrificing, I'm grinding to, to achieve that, so it, it feels better. Now, obviously, the goal in the PFL would be to win the tournament, win the million dollars, be the, the welterweight champion uh, of this season. But I, I did hear in your interview with Ariel, you were talking about the ultimate goal of being considered the best welterweight in the world. What do you think you need to do in order to prove that you are the best welterweight in the world? I mean, right now in the PFL, you're only going to have a certain amount of fighters that you have access to fight, uh, as opposed to a lot of the other, you know, big name featherweights out there. Well, I got two seasons with the PFL. I got, uh, I got, that means, uh, what is it? Uh, seven fights. If I if I you know go to the finals each year, so what I think it takes uh, is gonna continue to do what I did in my last fight, win and dominate, and and show my best version each each fight. So I'm staying focused each fight, like it's the most important, like it's my title fight, you know. So once I do that, and um, we'll see where we're at with um, you know free agency at that point in a couple of years, right? Whatever year and a half or so. And uh, and then, you know, I think just fighting the best guys in the world at that point. So we'll see what, where that all ends up being when the time comes. You mentioned the sheer volume of fights that you have to have in a year in the PFL. And really, there are two ways to do it. The way that you just did it against Curtis Millinger, get in and get out, win in the first round, get all those points and keep going. Or the path of least resistance, trying to just win a, a decision, not get hurt in the process. And maybe you don't get as many points, but you'll probably get into the playoffs. Uh, do you do you want to continue to fight with that sense of urgency where you want to get a first round finish? You don't get paid by the minute, but of course, it's also about the self preservation of being in a tournament like this. Well, regardless of points, if there was no points, I'm my you know I, my outlook on the sport is kind of that I want to not have regrets after like I've had fights where I've won a decision. And I've regretted it. I've regretted some decisions I've made in there. And when I finish my career, I don't want to look back and say I could have, you know, instead of, you know, I, I at least I tried and did it. So for better or worse. And so now, you know, I'm fighting with, with that in mind. Um, I'm going to leave it all out there. And, uh, and see where where the chips fall, you know, and, and uh, really try to express myself fully, and and show my full capabilities.
But while we're on the subject of regrets, what, what is the biggest regret of your career? And on the flip side of that, what is the thing you're most proud of in your career? Um, biggest regret um, in like a fight decision or just like in, if, the end, in, in like, uh, okay, well, I mean, uh, I think um, just uh, like I was talking to you before, um, losing focus in my career, you know, uh, multiple times actually where, I just, I kind of let big opportunities slip through my fingers because I didn't stay focused. It's probably the biggest thing. Um, but they've also been um, super uh, big uh, le lessons that I had to learn, you know, the hard way. But, you know, I'm here now and, and I am the, who I am now because of them. Uh, the biggest uh, thrill or biggest up in my career um you know, I don't know. Some of my victories in, in the UFC, my fight against uh, Paul Daly was a pretty big one for me. One person I want to ask you about is your training partner, George St. Pierre. Recently, it came to light that he was going to fight Oscar De La Hoya in a boxing match, uh, and I guess he got blocked. Have you spoken to George about no. this, and what's your, what's your take on it? No, I haven't. I, uh, I think i just seen something get posted online. But, uh, yeah, I didn't even know. I didn't even know he was looking to get a boxing match, but it probably was worth a lot of money, so it's unfortunate. I mean, obviously it's nice, you know, when us, when we get these big opportunities to be able to uh, to earn, you know, especially after all that he's put into the sport. You know, it, it'd be nice for him to, uh, you know, get that opportunity. How do you think a boxing match with De La Hoya and him would go? I think George would win. I tend to agree with you on that one. I think it would yeah. be, be interesting to watch for sure. Um, now, one last thing I want to ask you about. I know that everybody at TriStar has uh, some sort of cryptocurrency investment. You know, Faraz was pushing cryptocurrency pretty early. This has been a, a bit of a roller coaster week for those in the world of cryptocurrency. Do you look at it often? What's your, what's your vantage point on, on, uh, on that world and what, what happened this particular week? Do you have any, any, any way of making sense of it? Oh, it seems just like more of the usual. It's, seems like, you know, a 50% decline is kind of normal <laughs> if, if you've been following it for um, a handful of years. So that's just that's just kind of the ride you have to be prepared for when you get, get on board with that kind of stuff. You have to understand that it's not always going to be at record highs. But it also... The dark days, like these 50% drop-offs, I don't think they, they last forever either. You just kind of have to ride out the storm. It, it feels to me like cryptocurrency is like the stock market for people with ADD. It's like it's 24 hours all the time. You got to monitor it constantly. You can buy it high, sell it low, and just have all kinds of weird uh, things that you can do with it. As opposed to the stock market, it's like 9.30 to 4.30 every day. The, the crypto market is just like, it's just 24-7, which I think is something to look forward to in the future for people that like to invest because you're not, you're not going to take breaks. You can just monitor it all the time and, uh, and, and see how all of these different digital currencies work. Yeah, it's definitely a cool concept. I mean, if you're getting into it, it seems like you need really need to have a plan of attack and stick to it because of that, you know, that in mind, the fluctuation and the constant market op being open, it can make you emotional and make 
you know, make you make a bad decision at three in the morning, you know? <laughs> yeah, go to sleep. Check out, check out in the morning and see what's <laughs> happened. It's probably a good approach. All right, Rory. Well, thanks for your time. Appreciate you. And uh, best of luck against Glazing T-Bow. I'm sure we'll probably talk right before that event. Uh, but uh, always appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, thanks. Have a good one. I'm now joined by the president of Invicta FC, Shannon Knapp. Well, first off, Shannon, I want to offer my condolences to you. I heard your mother passed away uh, this week. I hope you're doing okay, and uh, I hope that, I guess, this, this upcoming event has been a welcome distraction for you uh, during this tough time. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it certainly has. And, you know, when you've got something, you know, to look forward to and excited about, it does kind of help things move along faster. So it's good to bury your head and work. So I'm based in Toronto, and the uh, new ownership of Invicta is Anthem Media, uh, run by uh, Leonard Asper, who's uh, very well known in, in these parts. Um, tell me how that, that all happened, uh, the, how the sale came together, and um, what, why Anthem you, you believe uh, to be a good fit for Invicta. Well, you know, I, had, uh, I knew I was coming out from underneath Fight Pass, you know, being on the, the platform, and I was just looking at options of what I might want to do. Um, I had some offers, some offers on partnerships, buying the company, you know, different a range of different, you know, offers. And when Access, you know, or not Access, but when Anthem came along and I got the opportunity to do some research on who was involved with Anthem and what the company kind of stood for, we very much aligned in what our stance was on a lot of viewpoints. So, uh, Having a company like Anthem come in that has all these resources, all the pieces of the puzzle that I was missing has been very exciting. And they're very ambitious. You know, they see the vision, they see the dream, and they want to be part of it. So for me, that was a win. Now, I know that Invicta had some association with the UFC. A lot of the fighters from Invicta went over to the UFC. Um, usually whenever somebody won the championship, they would, they would head to the UFC. Uh, is that going to change going forward? What, what kind of involvement does Invicta have with the UFC now? Well, you know, I've known those guys for a long time. I've worked for them. I've worked against them, with them. So, you know, the relationship there doesn't really change. You know, I think there's a very much a mutual respect. You know, we're very open to working with all promotions. You know, that's always been our stance, and I think it will continue to be that stance moving forward. You know, there may be some changes in how we look at it or – you know, different things like that, but we're still not going to change the foundation of who we are as a company. Now, one thing that I've loved uh, about Invicta is the uh, Phoenix tournaments. Are we going to expect to see, some, uh, you know, more of those in the, in the near future? Yeah, you definitely will. And I'll give you just a, a little uh, news, I guess. So, yeah, the next event will be a Phoenix tournament again. All right. Has that been announced yet, or is this some sort of exclusive that, no, you're, that I'm following no, into? No, it has <laughs> yeah, a little bit of news, a little breaking news there. No, uh, we will be announcing the date on the upcoming broadcast, but yeah, fans can be excited to know that there is a Phoenix tournament right around the corner. Are you able to share which division that's going to be in? Yeah, I will. I will share that with you. It'll be the 105-pound division. So that's right. a very, very exciting division. Yeah, absolutely. The, the title is on the line at the uh, this, coming, this upcoming event. You've got uh, Alicia Zapatella, who's... Uh, a little Spitfire, very, very uh, <laughs> short, very durable, and uh, a lot of fun to watch. And she's uh, facing Jessica Dalbita. Uh, tell me about how this one came together. You know, they're both at the top of the of that weight division. You know, they're def uh, definitely both are. I mean, there's no other place for them. But of course, she has to defend her belt, and Jessica's ready. So it's a great matchup. I mean, one I'm looking very forward to that fight. Do you think that Alicia's got a lot of star power in the sport? It's, you know, it looks like at atom weight, 
Invicta's the spot, really. I mean, Invicta's where all the atom weights are. Do you think she could become the face of this uh, promotion? Yeah, well, I definitely think that, yeah, she has all the tools to do it. And she loves the camera. The camera loves her. Um, yeah, I definitely think that she is somebody that can, you know, really make a mark in that division and really set herself up as to be someone that a lot of athletes are looking up to. Now, a lot of people um, that subscribe to Fight Pass will probably be looking for Invicta. It will, will not be on Fight Pass, but it'll be on Access TV in the U.S. And it's going to be on YouTube worldwide. So anybody who wants to watch this is going to be able to from wherever they are. Absolutely. But not just YouTube. We're also going to be on Facebook, on Twitter. So, you know, fans are going to have access to it and be able to see it, you know, make a choice on the platforms where they'd like to see it. And no paywall. Isn't that something? Yeah, well, that's exciting. That's exciting for anybody who wants to tune in because I'm sure there are a lot of fighters in Invicta from all kinds of different countries that are going to just be able to go on YouTube and, and watch it there. Yeah, that's exciting. You know, when you're able to deliver something like that to your fans, that's something that I'm always excited about is that more people will have the opportunity to watch Invicta than ever before. You know, um, not only just on television, but all the different social media platforms. So it's, it's kind of an exciting time. So as you mentioned, you worked for the UFC. You also worked for Strike Force. Uh, what made you decide to go forward with Invicta as a promotion? Why did you think that this was needed in the space to have an all-female uh, promotion? You know, when I was a matchmaker at Strike Force, it was the first opportunity I had to work with women. And you know, there are many times in my career that I've been approached about doing matchups, but it was never about women, you know, that were incredibly talented. It was always more focused towards hot women competing, you know, that kind of thing. It was what they were looking for. So, you know, it took me a long time to really, you know, really embrace women competing in the sport based on the things that I had seen and went through. But when I was at Strikeforce, I got the opportunity to actually work with the female athletes. And I realized that they're amazing, you know, and they gave me the tools. They changed my mind. So that gave me the tools to go out there and change the world's mind. It was a place that needed, you know, the women needed help. They needed someone to get in and fight the good fight. And I like a good fight. So. <laughs> well, that's very clear uh, with, with this promotion. And uh, it's, it has seemed like um, women's sports leagues are starting to really be on the rise. WNBA had big numbers in the U.S. and in Canada up 350%. I mean, it's a little bit of a pat on the back since TSN airs it. I will admit that there is a, a bias there, but uh, it, it certainly does seem like women's sports leagues in particular are, are really on the rise right now. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that we're doing everything we can and we're work, all working together to try to help elevate, you know, the exposure for the women athletes. You know, and that's a big deal here at Invictus. You know, it's created for the athlete. And you've got uh, Karina Rodriguez against Diana Torcado for the women's flyweight title. So one of them's going to walk away with the belt. Tell me a little bit about both of them. You know, they're both incredibly talented athletes, very talented, very seasoned athletes. I think this is going to be a great stand-up fight. Um, very anxious to see, you know, if they do keep it on the feet. But I definitely think it's one of those fights that uh, – People are going to not forget, you know, they're both incredibly talented and watching their stand up game has been amazing. All right. Well, this is the first ever Invicta event on cable in the U.S. since it's going to be on Access TV and Access TV, formerly HDNet. I mean, if, if people haven't been following mixed martial arts for that long, was really a destination for mixed martial arts about, you know, basically since the last 15 years. 
But uh, I remember staying up late and watching Dream Events. So uh, was, was that a big part of it as well with Anthem owning Access TV and Access TV having uh, you know, a good base in terms of uh, covering mixed martial arts in the past? You know, it certainly crossed my mind for sure. You know, that was one of the components. But, you know, it wasn't the deciding factor. I think it, for me, the deciding factor really was who's involved with Anthem, what direction are they going, and do they see, you know, what, you know, the, what I've laid out here as the possibilities for what this company can do. And that's really what sold me on them is that they are as ambitious as I am and they get it. That's that's the great part. You know, and hopefully we look to launch other, uh, you know, combat genres underneath the Invicta banner. So I'm hoping that, you know, you'll see us kind of jump into the boxing and maybe, you know, some other different genres. I saw that Megan Anderson posted that she was coming to the event. I imagine that she's part of the broadcast team, but she's a free yeah. agent. Are you interested in bringing Megan back to Invicta? You know, I think we're interested in everything. You know, I, I kind of think that's where I sit with everything is, you know, um, just interested in, you know, the possibilities. You know, and I think that, you know, we're really going to start looking at some of those possibilities and what we can do to up the ante, you know, uh, keep it growing and really building something that the female athletes can be proud of. That was a very non-committal answer. Are there talks going on with Megan? I'm going to be more, more straightforward <laughs> with this one. Okay. Are there talks? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm good at that political dancing sometimes. You know, um, we haven't, but it's not off the table, you know, by any means. You know, I think that uh, she was taking some time definitely to see what, you know, what she wants to do moving forward, period. So... I feel like there's a wealth of opportunities set, setting out there for I've even tried to talk her into doing some uh, wrestling. I think she would be a great character, you know, and one of those promotions as well. I'm with you. I, you don't see women like Megan Anderson every day. Like, she's just so tall. No, her stature. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she just has that larger-than-life stature, you know. Um, I like listening to her. I like the accent. I like, her, you know, the articulation, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think she's made for that, but you know, we'll see what she decides, but I think she could be a, a superstar for I, sure. I agree with you. Now, uh, in terms of the Invicta broadcast, is it the same, uh, players as usual? Yeah, this time, uh, we've got, of course, Julie and TJ and then, Me uh, Megan, Megan will be on the broadcast and then Taryn Temple. So oh, yeah, Taryn does a great job usual. backstage. Yeah, I think she does a really great job as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for this, Shannon. Uh, best of luck with the uh, the event this weekend. As mentioned, first time it's on cable TV on Access. And if you don't get Access TV, it's also on YouTube. No paywall. You can watch it globally. Uh, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with, uh, with the event. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.